2: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today's show was originally going to be a ghost story in which I kind of worked through the story and added my own narration in. But in the interview with Mike, today's guest, I was so moved by what he shared and by his experience and by his mystical experience and how he took his spiritual experience and really integrated it into his life and made real profound changes that I didn't want to cut it up and... I wanted you, the listener, to be able to hear his story in his voice in its entirety. So here's Mike's story.
2: My name is Mike Ergo, and I am a United States Marine Corps veteran, and I served 2001 to 2005 and deployed to Iraq twice. And as an infantry Marine, my job consisted of patrolling, uh, kicking down doors, you know, finding the guys we were trying to get and getting them. And that was, that was the majority of my job. And there was a lot of downtime too. So I had a very interesting experience, my second deployment in Iraq. And both times I was deployed just for seven months. Hmm. And my experience, which I'm still, I think we were talking about it before, still trying to, categorize or understand what we'd even call it
1: mm-hmm.
2: was it took place during November of 2004 and I was involved in what was called Operation Phantom Fury and it was this large-scale combat operation in the city of Fallujah, in Iraq and it was a lot of people waiting for us to come into the city and they were ready to fight to death and so it was fighting house to house for over a month
1: you mean and people civilians or
2: these were both the iraqi insurgents the local resistance and people who were coming in from all over the world to if they wanted to fight the americans you know there's a lot of uh, jihadists who is who knew that if they came there they could they could fight the the infidels and the americans mm. so we we f- we were encountering people from chechnya saudi arabia jordan um syria everywhere
1: Mm.
2: all across the middle east so in late november a lot of the days blurred together sure but it was i believe around november 18th and i had a a, one of my junior marines and my team I was in charge of three other Marines and he noticed that some some insurgents were hiding and he saw their weapons sticking out of a a pile of uh, clothes and trash they were hiding under and we ended up chasing them over some walls and through some houses and they were going to be set up to ambush the rest of my platoon of of 40 so Marines and so we wanted to get to them before they could they could set up and, and hurt these guys so in the fourth house that we cleared there's four guys clearing two and three story houses basically looking for people who are waiting to shoot us In the very uh, smallest room the bathroom of this house we come down the stairs and my back is against the the concrete where the stairs were two of my men were behind me and my point man was right next to me we're shoulder to shoulder he kicks open this door and these guys are in this room and immediately we start shooting they start shooting and this was only from a few feet away so Mm -hmm. this is point blank range
1: Hmm.
2: and the the door gets slammed shut on their side and so now we're just both shooting through a door hoping we're hitting something and i remember that i started feeling heat on my neck because the bullets must have been that close And I heard someone behind me yell and fall down the stairs and I assumed they'd been, you know, shot and killed. And I had this moment where I accepted the fact that I was gonna die. I was very certain, I was like, Well, this is it and I remember in that moment wondering, you know, would I would I call out to God or would I would I ask for forgiveness, you know, as, as someone who grew up as an evangelical Christian, I no, lo- no longer believe that. And I wondered, you know, would I hedge my bets and just just go back on and and try to try to beg for some kind of mercy from a God I didn't believe in anymore in that form. And I didn't do that. And I realized that I was fine being right there with my guys. And just, I, I really cared about these guys I was with. And I said, if this is how I go out, this is how I go out.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I remember I had this moment of just kind of surrender. I was still shooting. I was still there trying to, to live, but I wasn't so attached to remaining alive. I said, whatever happens, happens. And then something that it took me over 10 years to really acknowledge, uh, something really weird happened. And I started to notice every single cell in my body. And not just before. prior to that, I had I, I had lived in my head. It was almost as if my my eyes and my head were, you know, the control center for my whole body. And my the rest of my body was just a machine that followed orders. Hmm. Now I was able to notice every single cell as if it were breathing in and out. And I, I noticed the hairs growing out of my feet. I noticed it, it felt like a, I could see I had eyeballs all over my my body and I could see in all different directions.
1: It almost and sounds like a like a psychedelic trip.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it sounds like. And i've I've ingested uh, cannabis before, edibly, and i've I've done psilocybin mushrooms once, but nothing, nothing like this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's interesting. You say that too because I've heard, and I can't find any research on this, but I've I've heard that. Sometimes when people are about to die, the body releases some form of the DMT, hmm. and and that that does sound. Uh, once I heard that, I was like, "That that sounds plausible." So, so it's really interesting, and, and I, I entered this kind of timeless space. Everything was so incredibly slow, and then there was just no time. And so I remember just having one moment of. It's so one pang of regret that I I wouldn't see my girlfriend, who's now my wife. I was like, um, I'd never see her again, and then just totally surrendering to to whatever happened. And the next thing that occurred was that my consciousness or who I was started to expand, and so it expanded from where my body was to include the bodies of the Marines with me, to include the the bodies of the These insurgents we were trying to kill, to the concrete in this house and all the materials around it and the dirt, and then went outward into the sky. And so it just, it just, I didn't have any sense of self anymore because those lines were no longer there, those boundaries. It just, I I recognized this presence of this greater self that I was part of, and it was timeless, and it was so peaceful. And there was just this deep knowing that everything was going to be all right. That I had nothing to worry about with death. And that lasted, well, it was, it was, etern- it was eternal, it was, it was eternal. But then this weird paradox of how we have time and space back here as we experience it, eventually I came back in, kind of just was warped back into my body and ended up, uh, found myself still, still shooting at these people. I was still alive, which mm-hmm. was a big shock to me.
1: And you were never, you had not, you did not get shot
2: right? I did not get shot. This no, was not I, a
1: near death experience.
2: No, no. The only thing that I happened was a superficial wound where part of a grenade got lodged in my neck. And it was like, it was, you know, micrometers big. It was something that just fell out a couple weeks later. It was bleeding, but nothing that was even close to, no, you know, being uh, close to death at all. And that experience, needless to say, did not fit into any kind of paradigm of how the world worked. Or what? How I saw reality at all, and so I didn't know what to do with it. Plus, it was sandwiched in between, you know, some pretty gory scenes of killing. And uh, most of the time, when that thought came up, I would just numb myself out with alcohol or cannabis or uh, opiates, uh, because I didn't want to. It just—it was too much for me to to handle. I wasn't ready for it yet but I finally was able to see that after I backed off and, and totally uh, went cold turkey on, on all substances uh, except for coffee it's still my
1: favorite
2: then all of a sudden like these blips would occur in my mind like oh yeah that, that really did happen because mm-hmm. it's such it's such an insane such a crazy um, thing to even describe I mean, it took me a while to even like find words to describe what was happening because it was just so much. I just, it was, it, it just, there was so much information coming in that this one tiny human brain couldn't really process it, especially mine.
1: Well, and that's the hallmark from what I've learned of a mystical spiritual experience is the ineffability of it the difficulty describing mm-hmm. what happened. But you came back and you didn't talk about it.
2: No, because I was with, I, I, I was amongst some of the most alpha, uh, hyper-masculine guys you can imagine. <laughs> and this didn't fit into our things we talked about. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about, you know, who the hottest girls, you know, in movies were. You know what what the best kind of beer was. What we were gonna do when we got back home. Um, You know, some people talked about their faith, but it was usually you know either some of the traditional spiritual um, views Christianity, um, Judaism, Buddhism. But that was that was usually not even talked about that much, even.
1: And. In your unit, there were—I mean, in this—in this fight, I don't know all the lingo, so I apologize. Yeah. Um, there were people who died, right?
2: There were the only in people
1: that, in that house that you were in
2: that little skirmish. The only people who died were the people that I killed in that room, and the guy behind me who was hit—he was—he uh, was luckily his, a round struck him through the helmet and—and. And Took off a chunk of his helmet and, and ricocheted off, but he fell down, thinking he was shot in the head because he was. It just didn't penetrate his skull, so hmm. miraculously survived. I mean, we're talking about he was only a foot behind me, so the the fact I mean, we looked in that room too, in that hallway, and there were it was it was so improbable that we did not get shot because my point man and I. We're pushing against each other's shoulders in this room, trying to go the opposite way. There's just nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70%
0: of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
2: And the fact that we were alive was just, you know, a head scratcher. So I had no wounds, no wounds at all. And neither did the guys that were with me. Um, No
1: physical wounds.
2: No physical wounds. Um,
1: So, of course, doing what you and I do, I'm going to have to ask you some of these questions just because I think it's important for people to hear. What happened when you got back? And how do you think this experience transformed
2: you. Well, after I finally stopped wrestling with my actual experience and and stopped trying to fit it into my preconceived ideas of how the world and the universe worked. After I said just okay, this is what it is. Let's start with my experience is is reality and what's happening. I started to realize that there was nothing to worry about on the other side and that instead of trying to live as if I had to, to do everything before I died, um, I could change my approach to comforting people and just offering, offering love and compassion. And even if it wasn't telling them about this mystical experience I had, I could communicate that message of love that I felt. I felt that love and connection is the most profound thing I've ever felt. The only thing that comes close to it is when my daughter was born. Mm -hmm. And that was just a big explosion of love when I saw her for the first time. But that, that I feel is is my mission right now. And, And so I do that in a couple different ways. One is as a, a licensed clinical social worker. I work for the VA and as part of the vet centers, I provide counseling for any veteran who's been in a combat theater or who's experienced sexual trauma. Just to offer that down below all of this numbness and anger and fear and sadness is, is this unending well of joy. And it is so powerful if people have the courage to go through it. And that's what I did. And that was a big part of my, you know, getting sober and starting the spiritual journey was facing my fears head on. And I was living a life in a way it all came together in the summer of 2012. And and I I was unfaithful to my wife and I was using uh, a lot and drinking a lot, missing work. And I just, I remember a day looking in the mirror and I had this tattoo and some Marine Corps motto, Semper Fidelis, always faithful. And just the just the incongruity of those words and my lifestyle and everything I cared about were at odds. Just the dissonance there, just
1: mm-hmm.
2: I was like something has to change or I'm just gonna put a bullet in my head because this I can't live like this.
1: And a lot of people do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah twenty to of- twenty two a day for veterans. And so I said, "You know what before I check out, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try it. give it hundred percent." And I was part of a, um, a really intense therapy group where we faced our fears he- head on. we felt everything we needed to feel. we connected to that spark of, of pure love and, and consciousness that many of us have as a child and mm-hmm. maybe we lose along the way somewhere. and we started to allow ourselves to talk to people in really authentic ways and express who we are confront our fears of who i am is not good enough and if i show people who i am they'll want to leave and so we took we took those on a lot of different exercises. and so i I told my wife hey this is what's going on i understand you if you want to leave i love you but i know my actions are saying otherwise and you know so it was it was a rough you know six months to a year And she decided she wanted to stay with me if I promised never to use again. And I, I had some. um, I I started to to notice that. Okay, now I have to feel all these feelings, and what do I do with this grief? Because once the substances were gone, and the chemicals, I didn't have anything else to feel good. Mm -hmm. And
1: or to not feel right. To not
2: feel one of the others
1: to feel good or not feel.
2: Yeah, at least when I was in in combat, I could I could be charged full of adrenaline, and at least I felt you know the the love for the guys around me, the camaraderie, or you know the intense hatred for an enemy. There were there were feelings there and a purpose. And now I was just kind of drifting. So my, I had a fortunately I had a friend who gave me a birthday present, and he gave me a registration for a half marathon, and it was just a really significant part of my life because I had tried working out and, and felt okay, but it was just, it was, I was feeling really raw. those was for six months of sobriety. But then I, as I was training up for this and I was, I was kind of pissed at him because I didn't want to, I didn't want to run or do anything that extreme in my mind. But I had this one day where I was rounding a corner and all of a sudden I just felt safe in my own body. I felt good. And that was the first time in a long time that I felt like that because I was diagnosed with PTSD and, and just had you know complete. I was having panic attacks. I was angry. All these memories were coming back, coming back fragmented. Not even mm-hmm. a full, cohesive memory, chronological right. memory. It was just bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time I can remember since since then. It was it was you know seven years after where I felt just I didn't need to be anywhere else, and I felt at peace with myself and the universe. And that began a journey of me trying out other endurance sports. Uh, Open water swimming was a really big one for me. And just being able to be here in the present moment, which I wasn't able to do because my mind, the part of my spirit was still back in that room, in that house in Iraq. And I wasn't able to move on from that. And and now...
1: And it's really uncomfortable to be in the present moment when the present moment is overwhelming you with these feelings of sadness and anger and fear and resentment and, you know, just yeah complete devastation, like for what you experienced, for what you did on some level, right? Like,
2: mm-hmm. and even to describe it, I didn't have that. I didn't have these words I have now. This comes after years of of learning about trauma, learning about grief, and what happens in war.
1: Right, and your being own therapy, fu- being a therapist.
2: Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So much stuff. Because before, if you had asked me what was going on, I could tell you, I don't like what's going on. It doesn't feel good. And I'm having all these these loops of, of memories, bits and pieces show up, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. That's probably, that would be even it would be even lucky if i could say that much so it was like a fire hose of memories and and sensation and feeling so i i started realizing um i watched this one video of this woman who lost her husband in afghanistan and she started running to deal with the grief and i realized that i was doing that too but now I didn't have to. Like when I remembered my friends who I who I cared about, I realized once I was able to connect you with this experience that we are eternal beings, and that that bond, those bonds don't break. I don't have to get over somebody I really care about. I don't have to move on and just cut that part out of my life because it's part of me forever. And that's mm-hmm. I like that. So I can incorporate all those feelings, whatever is there, and keep that love and those bonds through doing something that's healthy for me. I don't have to be at the bar slamming down shots. So, I realized that I wanted to incorporate both this new these new sport that I love, triathlon, and and grieving and dealing with trauma together so I could honor these guys I lost and let their families know that they're they're not forgotten and that they're never truly gone. That nobody ever is truly gone. And that uh, we remember them we, and I carry them in my hearts and in my being. And the extent that I tell people what that means depends on maybe how ready they are to hear it or Absolutely. what they believe. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm very careful not to jump in and accost people with the ideas and experiences I have. Because right. I wouldn't have been ready for it, you know. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> right, you got to give them like a little, a little crumb. Yeah. you give them, feed them the whole Uh family, right?
2: There was one thing, a couple experiences I've had, uh, even prior while I was still, you know, heavily intoxicated for the majority of my days. I, I was, I had a friend, Josh, and he's from Northern California, a couple hours north of where I live. And we weren't best friends, but we were close. In a sense that we both knew where we lived, and we were both on the East Coast, stationed stationed on the East Coast, and but but we're both from Northern California, and you know both in the same unit. So we were we were friendly, I really liked the guy. He went back after we got out as a security contractor, and the uh, most horrific thing you can imagine was kidnapped and held imprisoned for ransom, and you know. Dismembered and beaten to death after a year and a half of being imprisoned, and mm. an awful experience, just devastating, absolutely devastating. I mean, for you know us, his, his brothers in arms, and then especially for his family.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So after the funeral and after visiting them, I went up uh, again just to visit, you know, his mom and dad, and I had. This dream beforehand, and when I say dream, this was—it happened while I was asleep. But this was much more than a dream, and what I remember for that—and I knew I had to tell him about it. So the the, the dream was—I, it's myself, my friend Josh, and Josh's dad are sitting talking, and. I, maybe we're having lunch but it's just on this big bluff overlooking a body of water and uh, the hill that leads down to the water is is exposed dirt and rock at, at different shades of red and brown. And at one point as we're just having small talk and just nothing remarkable about it I asked him, hey, how are you doing? And he looked at me with this just this really just i know this kind of i know the secret i have this deep knowledge kind of smile a really deep smile and he said i'm really good and i said mm-hmm. yeah he's like yeah i'm really good and there was something about the quality that i, I about this dream that was so it stuck with me it was
1: so it was a visit right and there it was, was a visit. visitation. yeah
2: yeah, yeah. and and so I started, you know, playing the the mind games. Well, why would he do it with me? I wasn't his best friend, you know, or like trying to to. You were do, open,
1: do and you were yeah, right. You you opened that portal. On some, I realized consciousness portal.
2: I realized I was doing the same thing uh, with this other experience that I had uh, in Iraq. That okay, it happened. Let's start with that. And for whatever reason, I don't have to understand it. And so I told his parents, and that gave him a lot of peace.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
2: said, that was what I was supposed to do. And and if it makes him feel better, I don't need to understand more than that. And that's the same with this experience. I like to know more about what happened and how it happened and what it means you know, that I had in Iraq. But when it comes down to it, it's changed my life profoundly. I no longer fear death. And I now, Race Ironman triathlons, and during the run, which is a marathon, I carry a flag for a local Gold Star family—someone who's lost their son or daughter in military service—and I bring them to the race. And I show that we can grieve together, we can celebrate this person's life together. That they're not gone; that they are still here. They're still part of this. There's th- this energy is—you know—is not destroyed, mm-hmm. even though the physical body may be gone. And I bring it together and invite them and bring them back into the community. Right? And so it connects you know, the, the veterans who have survivor's guilt a lot of times
1: mm-hmm.
2: with a family who is grieving, missing their son or daughter, and wants to connect with a veteran. And the community a lot of times wants to help but isn't sure how And, and through the sport that I really love. And I realized that this experience, of nothing else, has allowed me to create something that makes people feel really good and heal. Okay. And so maybe that's it.
1: Yeah, it's so beautiful. And the way that you tell your story is so authentic and heartfelt and genuine and real and just really transformative. And so Mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your service because I don't, in in my world, like there's not a lot of people, I, I don't think I know anybody who's served Thank you, military. I've never had the opportunity to thank someone and to hear face to face someone's story in this way. I, I have worked with people who have had family members who were killed, but it's different to hear directly from someone who experienced that and to imagine the trauma that you experienced and what you have to live with in your mind every single day and to have overcome that is such an inspiration truly
2: thank you and that's I, I want it to be an inspiration and now my role with the Iron Man um, as a, an ambassador of the Iron Man Foundation the nonprofit part of it is to include as many other veterans to, to make this part of their journey and as many other Gold Star families. So it's not just about me that I can, I was like, I have, I've been given this second chance here. I've been given this, this gift of, of knowing that everything is going to be okay, even if I forget it sometimes in daily life,
1: mm-hmm.
2: that everybody I come across, I want them to experience that if they're open to it.
1: Well and I think when you're dealing with survivor's guilt <clears throat> on one level obviously you feel you feel guilty that you're here and they're not but it's almost uh, it's almost dishonoring to those who aren't here to not live your life because they
2: completely can. completely and that that was this realization and that I'm I'm so glad you said that because for a while you know someone someone brought up just that you think these guys would want you to be sitting around crying in your beer, you know, getting fat, you know, being miserable. Just you think they want you to be doing that or do you think they you could honor them by doing the things you said you were going to do and being the person that you know you can be? And I said, that sounds great, but how do, how do I do that? And so
1: mm-hmm.
2: once I found out, it's like, well, you just have to feel those feelings, which is simple in concept, but not and easy in practice. Right? Almost,
1: it almost feels yeah. almost impossible. Sometimes, <laughs> it's not because we both sit with people all day, encouraging them to feel their feelings.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's so interesting being uh, just talked about blurred boundaries. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a clinical therapist and I'm a person on the spiritual journey. And I'm a veteran, uh, but as a, as a clinician working with other veterans, I'm supposed to be the provider. So I'm in I'm my foot is in so many different circles here, uh, but I'm okay with that because mm-hmm. I've become okay with uncertainty, and I've been okay with gradually uh, trusting more and more of my intuition. And because trying to trying to think through everything and trying to use just my Cognitive rational brain isn't the answer. You know, it's a good tool, but it's not the end all.
1: So, if people want to follow you or find out more about you, where can they do that?
2: Well, I have a website and a blog and podcast, and it's transitionsfromwar and dot com, and the same at transitions underscore from underscore war on Instagram, and. They can look me up by my name, Mike Ergo, E R G O. And uh, the Iron Man's put out a couple really cool um, videos on YouTube about the, the Gold Star Initiative, is what I call it. Mm. And it is, it is such a fun thing. So it's that people can, can take a look at that and get a better picture of, of what I'm trying to do to bringing, bring these families and veterans and the community together.
1: I mean just running a tri just running a triathlon just running doing one of those three parts of a triathlon to me is inspiring. So doing all, it's, it's a, all three is pretty amazing especially given everything you've been through.
2: Well, it's a lot. I mean the Ironman's 2.4 mile swim, uh, 112 mile bike ride and then the, the run is 26.2 miles. So a full marathon, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the first time I did it was the spring of last year and it was that same kind of knowing that wasn't in my head, but it was really in my heart. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew it was it was my next step. And so mm-hmm. I just said, "I'm going to do this." And they looked at me like, "Are you sure?" I'm like, well, "I know once I'm connected to my purpose, that nothing will stop me." And that's that's that that heart connection that that I've I've been able to share with other people, and I, it's so fun to see them grab onto that too. The funnest thing before we go that I got to do so recently was. There was a young man named Travis Desiato, and he's from Massachusetts, and he was killed in action in Fallujah, and he was part of my unit. I connected with his sister a few years ago, and as a coincidentally, or not, that the first time I carried a flag and ran, just I like that you a throw
1: whim. in the, or not.
2: Or not, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, every time I say, maybe that's a coincidence, you know, and I really put that out there, I'll, I'll just get this hilarious sign from the universe that, no, it's not a coincidence. Mm-hmm um we connected and we did this together we did this the slightest half iron man together so I, I swam and did the bike ride and she carried a flag her brother and so that that was the first time I got to do that for someone I personally knew with someone you know with a, a gold star family member and that was to date the most special thing um that I've been able to do and part of still my own healing so it's it's really fun it it the, the neat thing is that that healing and service and, and helping other people can be fun. It can be really enjoyable.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Incredible story. I am just really moved.
2: I, I, I have a good feeling we'll be connecting a lot in the future because I'm going to do some work with uh, military and, and vets who have had near-death experiences.
1: I would love that. Absolutely.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you for having me on.
1: Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Curious about what comes next and what it all means? You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.